Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Guest speaker Ethan Zimmerman is preaching on Psalm 97 with his message, The Song of Rejoicing. Um, we In a series in Psalms, uh, we did Psalm 1 and 2, and we're actually going to be skipping to 97. And that's because I asked Ethan, he could preach anything he wanted to, and he was like, oh, I want to do a psalm. Uh, so he's going he's gonna to touch base in Psalm 97. Uh, we're not going to get to all 150, but you'll see how this like really uh, platforms off of Psalm 1 and 2 as we're going to talk about uh, the king. It's, it's a, a psalm that's in... It's in a set of songs uh, in Psalm 93. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 93 or page 466 in your pew Bible. And I just want to show you something before I have Ethan come up. Psalm 93, it's part of these roy- a collection of royal psalms. It begins in Psalm 93 with the Lord reigns. And then if you look in uh, chapter 95, you'll see in verse 3, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. The word reigns is actually the word kings. Uh, and so it's all about the Lord reigning as king. In Psalm 96, in verse 10, saying among the nations, the Lord reigns. And then Psalm 97, what we'll get to today, the Lord reigns. And then finally in uh, 98, in verse 6, it says, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. And then Psalm 99, the Lord reigns. This is a, a whole set of royal psalms, and we're just going to touch into one that Ethan's going to talk about today. Um, this will be the only psalm we do in the, in the royal psalms, uh, so, but I think it's going to be rich and fantastic. I met Ethan, and I'm sure a number of you have. It's been six, seven months ago, uh, and as he's come, uh, he came from South Dakota uh, with the Navigators. He's working with Chris Green, uh, who's in the back. Wave your hand there. Okay, Chris Green, um, he's here today, and they're working with first responders with the Navigators, trying to disciple people along the way. And what I appreciate about Ethan is his servant heart, and he handles the scriptures uh, with a lot of uh, seriousness and respect, and I'm excited about you uh, bringing us the word this morning. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning, as it is every Sunday morning. Thank you for uh, being such a welcoming community of followers of Christ Jesus that I get to rub shoulders with every Sunday. Uh, It's exciting to bring the word before you today. Um, So if you'll stand with me, we'll start by reading Psalm 97, if you're able. Um, This is a song, uh, psalm that sings a song of delight uh, and rejoicing. So Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols, 
Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to spend some time in your word this morning to look at you as the king who reigns uh, on the throne. We thank you that you do reign, uh, that your reign is eternal, and that you are good, and that we can uh, come before you as citizens of your kingdom today to reflect on that goodness. Uh, may you meet us here today. Would you speak through your word uh, and prepare us for the week before us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, something about me that you guys, uh, I would guess almost none of you know. I would uh, put a lot of money on that, actually, because I've never told any of you this, except for like three of you. Um, but is that I am a die-hard fan of an activity called drum corps. Um, yes, that's, that's the response I expected, because nobody knows about drum corps. Um, so for those of you who don't know what that is, drum corps can be likened to a sort of professional, highly competitive marching band of sorts. Now, a thing about drum corps is that we all clap and we all shout um, for every drum corps, but you just cheer extra loud for your favorite drum corps when they're performing. So when a drum corps takes the field, we all clap and shout for, for the big moments in the show, the stuff that dazzles you when they're on the field, right? Um, and almost every show can be broken down into three sections, okay? Pay attention, because this will be helpful later on in our message. So it can be broken down into three sections. There's an opener, a ballad, and a closer. Now, would you repeat those things for me? What's the first section of the drum corps show? Opener. opener. Great. You're all super listeners. The second section? Ballad. And the third section? Closer. Super. You got it. So the opener says, hey, welcome to the show. This is what we're going to be listening to today. This is what we're going to be talking about today in the drum corps show. The ballad brings development to the drum corps show. And the closer is this last two to three minutes that's filled with energy and intensity that brings the show to a triumphant climax. It's pretty remarkable. Um, so I've been to a handful of drum corps shows around the country uh, in my lifetime. But in 2016, I had the opportunity to attend the Drum Corps International World Championships in Indianapolis, Indiana, at the Colt Stadium. Wow, pretty exciting, yeah. <laughs> um, so I remember sitting in a crowd with 20,000 other fans. Yes, there are that many fans of drum corps <laughs> in the country. Uh, 20,000 other fans just beside myself with glee that I got to watch some of my favorite drum corps perform and compete for world champion that year. Uh, as my favorite show of the year took the field, I found myself elated. I cheered and I clapped until my hands were, they felt like they were swollen, they were sore. Um, but the closer came and it began to build and draw the performance to a conclusion. And before the show had even ended, 
I and 20,000 other fans were compelled out of our seats with rejoicing and delight at the spectacle that was set before us. We found ourselves standing and jumping and clapping and shouting and cheering because we all shared in rejoicing at this great show that would go to win on the championship that year. Amazing, riveting stuff. Uh, maybe you can relate in a different fashion. Maybe you've experienced yourself standing in a crowd cheering for your favorite football team, or maybe for the draft this last week. Uh, maybe when you were cheering for your kids at a tournament while they fought for a win. Uh, or maybe when you finally, finally beat that opponent or that level or that boss in your favorite video game of choice. Uh, whatever it is, um, it's an experience where you were driven to respond with delight and excitement because of the magnitude of the achievement that you had just witnessed. Now, in the same way that I was compelled to rejoice and delight in that world champion drum corps show with 20,000 other fans, we're going to see in Psalm 97 uh, that there's an invitation to respond with rejoicing and delight in the true king. Uh, you might think to yourself, I'm, I'm not about to delight in a true king. They would never care about me. Or, or maybe delighting in the true king just sounds like some crazy Christian jargon to you. Uh, maybe you're just tired. I've tried it before, you say. I'm done. I'm just done delighting in the kings. Um, and who cares if I delight or not, right? Why would I even want to delight in a true king? Which brings us back uh, to Psalm 97, where we'll see together um, that, that this chapter breaks into three sections, like our drum corps show. There's an opener, a ballad, and a closer. Section one, our opener, tells us what the true king is like. Section two, the ballad, shows us how the false kings compare. And finally, section three, the closer, brings an invitation to respond by rejoicing and delighting in the true king. So section one is in verses one through six. This is our opener. Um, the show has begun and it highlights for us, this is what the true king is like. It says, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. Last week with Joel, we looked at the second door to the kingdom that the Psalms described to us in Psalm chapter 2. We learned the king that God has installed on the throne in response to the raging nations was his very own son, Christ Jesus. Here in verse 1 of Psalm 97, we begin with that same king sitting on the throne. It's the Lord. The Lord is reigning on his throne and the whole earth is compelled to respond by rejoicing and delighting because of it. Now, I think that's a pretty remarkable thought, if we would just slow down for a second. Can anyone name, and I, I would invite you if you could, could anyone name another ruler or king 
or authority in all of history who the entire earth was glad and rejoiced at because of their reign? I think the last 10 years in our country alone are a good indicator that this is not the case. We seem to long for a ruler, a candidate, an authority over us who will truly meet our needs, someone who will actually be for us and allow us to flourish, who will treat his or her people with dignity and respect, who enforces good and provides for those in need. We readily put our hope in the abilities and easily broken promises of our chosen rulers to faithfully attend to such things. But somehow or another, it's a mystery to us, they always seem to fall short of the mark. I'm going to go out on a limb to say that in all of history, there has never been a mere human who ruled and the entire earth delighted because of it. Yet, the whole earth rejoices and is glad at the Son of God's reign and rule. But what's so great about this king, you might ask? In verse 2, we see that righteousness and justice are the singular foundation of his throne. Foundation, not foundations. There is one foundation to the king's throne, and it's made of righteousness and justice. If you think about it, it's like a cookie, okay? There's several ingredients to a cookie, right? There's butter, sugar, flour, and some other things. And once they're all mixed and baked together, you will never separate those ingredients again. Together, those ingredients form one cookie. In fact, it's essential that they have certain ingredients to make a cookie, right? You probably can't make a cookie with cayenne powder, you know? Um, but what's, uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, the same is true that righteousness and justice are inextricably or inseparably form the foundation of God's throne. They're also both needed for the other to function, right? So perfect justice can't be executed without someone who is perfectly righteous to be able to make the judgment. Otherwise, the standard for judgment is not perfection. You would just get mostly good instead of perfection, right? Just imagine if God weren't perfectly good, but had all power to execute justice as he saw fit. We'd serve a God who throws power around at a whim with no standard for how to apply it, and he would be judging men arbitrarily. Today, telling lies might be a good thing, but tomorrow, that could be a very bad thing. Um, Similarly, perfect righteousness can't be had without perfect justice to wipe out and deal with all wickedness. Otherwise, we'd just see most wickedness wiped out rather than all wickedness. So what if God was perfectly good, but had no power to enact justice? That would be a terrifying thing. He'd be perfectly good with a clear and right standard, but he'd have no power to deal justly with the wickedness that runs wild in the world. He'd be the standard for righteousness, but we would all watch with horror and without hope as wickedness runs unchecked in the world that we live in. Righteousness and justice must be established together as one inseparable foundation for God's throne. And God has chosen for this to be the case, right? Psalm 103, 19 tells us that God has established his throne in the heavens. This isn't just a a cosmic happy accident. God has purposefully established his throne 
so that the place from which the King Christ Jesus rules, who is installed forever on the throne, is from a place of perfect, inseparable righteousness and justice. And we know that the Lord is able to sit on this throne because he himself is righteous. We, excuse me, we see it in verse 6. It says, the heavens proclaim his righteousness. So the Son of God, the perfectly righteous and just king, reigns on the throne of inseparable righteousness and justice. But this true king does not just sit on the throne of righteousness and justice. He actively carries it out. Verse 3 is a sobering reminder of this for us. It says, fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. The Lord does not just claim righteousness and justice as the foundation of his throne, but actively establishes it in the earth against his adversaries, wicked men who plot and rage against him, like we looked at last week. Very quickly, this leads us all to the foot of the cross. The same king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits on the throne in perfect righteousness and justice, who perfectly carries out justice, and who has perfect judgment, is the exact same king from last week who was given a crown of thorns and clothed in a mocking robe and raised high upon a cross that read king of the Jews to take the wrath and judgment that we deserve in our wickedness upon himself. It's the same king. The risen king who is a just and righteous judge and the king who gave himself on our behalf to satisfy his wrath against us is the same king, the Lord Jesus Christ. All this so that we too might rejoice and delight in him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer speaks of this very well. He says, God himself has secured justice in his wrathful judgment on the cross. And this wrath has become grace and joy for us. Jesus Christ himself requests the execution of the wrath of God on his body, which leads me quickly, leads me back daily to the gravity and grace of his cross for me and all enemies of God. Dietrich tells us that God pouring out his wrath becomes a point of delight and the experience of grace because Jesus Christ, the king on the throne, has absorbed all the wrath that's meant for me upon himself. So for those who follow King Jesus, we are led to rejoice and delight at God enacting his wrath because by it, God deals perfectly with wickedness in the earth and through God's wrath, poured out on himself, there is hope and grace for all who come to him. And this is a large part of what compels us to rejoice and delight in the true king. It paints a glorious picture of who God is, to know that I am an adversary of God, of the true king who deserves his just judgment, yet the true king himself satisfies his wrath against me on my behalf. Verse 6 tells us that all people can see this glory on display. None are left unaware. It says the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all people see his glory. I wonder if you would ask the Lord to increase your sight of his glory, that you would be compelled to respond with all the earth in delight 
and rejoice in the true king. So our opener has come to an end. The true king has been set squarely in front of us. Now section two, the ballad, begins with some stirring development. The ballad is found in verses seven through nine. Here we're going to see how the false kings compare to the true king. So starting in verse seven, all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. We ended section one, the opener, being told all people see the true king's glory on display. Not most people, but all people. You might think that if all people witnessed such a spectacle, like the momentous finale of a drum corps show, that it would stir every one of them up to worship with great delight that the true king is sitting on the throne. Yet here in verse seven, we read that there are still those who worship images which put them to shame, who boast in worthless idols. Images that bring shame, worthless idols. That's the description given to the things that the people who have seen the king's glory choose to worship instead of this glorious true king that we just saw in verses one through six. The people are deceived. Maybe this image will help me feel better, they say. Yet time and time again, it brings them only shame. Well, yeah, but my, uh, my idol, he won the championship last year. So, but they forget that it's totally worthless. Their worship is misplaced. The false kings they've chosen to rejoice and delight in bring them nothing but continued hurt and shame and frustration and further brokenness. They're worthless. Even the gods, the false kings themselves, at the end of verse 7, are called to worship the true king. Worship him, all you gods. How far short must those uh, false kings fall if even they are subject to worship the true king? Wouldn't, wouldn't my worship be better placed if I rejoiced and delighted in the one who even the, all the false kings of the earth are told to worship. Verse eight says, Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. In contrast to those who worship the false kings of the earth, we see the people of the true king delighting with gladness. Why do they delight? Because of the Lord's judgments. It's what we looked at before. Since the true king is both righteous and just, we can be sure that his judgments are good and they're worth delighting in. He will not judge falsely. He will not bend the truth. He will not lie. He will not brush wickedness under the rug. His judgments are good and the people delight as a result. The true king is set up in verse nine as most high over all the earth. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. 
The false kings and gods pale in comparison. They sit far below him as the whole earth delights and exalts him above all others. You can probably recall a time that you've experienced the sting of seeking false kings. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Section two, the ballad, reminds us that those false kings are worthless. Delight in the true king. Finally, we reach section three. The closer has arrived in verses 10 through 12. The momentum builds as we draw chapter 97 to a finish. We've seen what the true king is like in the opener. The ballad developed by showing us how the false kings compare. And here in the closer, we'll see an invitation for all people to delight and rejoice in the true king. Starting in verse 10, it says, O oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O oh, you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. The people are urged to consider the king set before them and to respond by loving the Lord. The invitation shouts, come and delight in the true king. Rejoice in his reign. Run from the wickedness of worshiping mere idols and images, which are going to only bring you shame. And as if to make one last cry for the people to delight in the true king, verse 10 says, this true king will preserve you as his saint. He will not bring shame upon you. He will deliver you. He'll keep you from investing your, wor your worship in worthless pursuits. It's an invitation. It extends into verse 11, which says, Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Some of you have footnotes in that verse, which tell us that verse 11 can also be read, Light dawns for the righteous. This verse further invites us into a promise, one that has been made by God through the mouth of David. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 2 through 4. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. And this is what God says. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like, that, uh, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Three times, Psalm 97 invites us to rejoice. Rejoice, 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 O you people of the earth. Delight, delight, delight in the true king, O you people of the earth. A promise has been made, the one in 2 Samuel 23, it tells us there will be a king who will rule justly. His throne will be founded on inseparable righteousness and justice. When this king rules, he will dawn on his people like the morning light. His rule will be glorious and all people will see it. Under his rule, there is flourishing. His people will not be ashamed or stuck in their worship of wicked false idols and kings but they will delight and rejoice at this king's shining forth, the dawning of his reign as true king forevermore. They will see his light 
And as they respond, new life will spring forth like fresh grass after the rain. Verse 12 reiterates this invitation, making a bookend with verse 1 with delight and rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. O ye righteous is a group of people. It's the same congregation of righteous people who arise and stand in the judgment that we looked at in Psalm 1. The invitation rings out, Come you who are found in the blessed man. Delight and rejoice in him. He is the true king. He is the promised king who rules justly. Those who delight in him flourish and are ashamed no more. My mind goes back to the crowd of 20,000 people at the Drum Corps International World Championship in 2016. My bet is that everybody in that crowd had a different kind of day that day. Some people probably had great days, right? Maybe someone there got a promotion, or maybe someone there paid off their last bit of debt, or maybe someone became a grandparent to a new grandchild. Others probably just had a normal day. Yeah, my day was good, it was fine. And others likely had bad days. Maybe someone there had a loved one who was seriously injured that day or that week. Or maybe they had a scary visit to the doctor. Or maybe, um, <laughs> maybe they totally bombed on their calculus test. Yet the championship winning show drew to a conclusion. Somehow it was as if all that seemed good and exciting or normal or scary or hard or burdensome in every one of our days simply melted away in those brief few moments as we were compelled out of our seats to rejoice with overwhelming delight in response to the marvelous spectacle that was set before us. Almost nothing seemed to matter except squeezing every last rejoicing shout out of our lungs. And nobody forced us to do it. We simply responded to what was set before us. Life will continue with great joys and deep burdens, things that we look forward to, and things that are, quite frankly, terrifying. Uh, but where will we fix our eyes in all of that? For those of us here who are following Jesus, will you be tempted to give your attention, your worship, your rejoicing, and your delight to false kings which only seek to shame and to mar you? Or will you be compelled to respond with delight and rejoicing simply because the glorious true King Jesus sits on his throne and as you behold him in his glory, all else melts away. For those of you here who may not be following the true King Jesus, would you take a moment to consider what's currently ruling your life and weigh that rule against the rule of the true King that we looked at today? What might it be like for you to follow him instead? For all of us then, when we consider these, true king, these two kings, the true king and the false kings, will you be compelled to respond with the congregation of the righteous to sing the song of rejoicing and delight 
in the true king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for your word, that it is true, that it is good, uh, that it paints a picture for us of this true King Jesus, and that he sits on the throne, that he is good, and that he reigns forevermore. We thank you uh, that you are to be delighted and rejoiced in, because your reign is good and your reign is sure. Uh, May we fix our eyes on you, Father, and as we look to you, may you continue to lead us well as our good king. Uh, as citizens of your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel rooted in God's Word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.